Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Why don't we turn to Proverbs chapter 1? And I'm not sure when our next Sunday study will be. Well, I guess it'll be online. But Lord willing, we'll try to go through Proverbs for a while on on Sundays um, because Proverbs is a book of hidden truth. And it really teaches us how God wrote the Bible. And it's the reason why Christ spoke in parables. Jesus spoke in parables and without a parable, he did not speak, we're told. And the reason is that he's the word of God made flesh. And in speaking in parables, he was instructing the hearers, the listeners of the word himself, how to understand the Bible, that the Bible is a book of parables. The whole Bible is a book of Proverbs, a proverb is the same thing as a parable. And is that true? We we always say that, that Christ spoke in parables and the whole Bible is a parable. Is that true? Because we do know that Ezekiel, it was said of him, he speaks in parables. We know that Job continued his parable. We read in one chapter in Job. We know that God has historical parables but aren't there many statements in the Bible that it were not history, really? It wasn't a historical parable, and it wasn't given in the, in the form of a parable, like when God says that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Is that parabolic? No. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Because when we analyze a parable, when we... we uh, want to come up with a definition of what is a parable or proverb, it really comes down to hidden truth. Hidden truth. That's what is contained in a parable. It's what's contained in a proverb. Hidden truth. And hidden truth could be a statement like, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Very direct statement. People think they understand it but they fail to understand the hidden truth that there is more information in the Bible. You have to search out which would explain what God means by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He has to do the work and we can only believe after he has granted us the faith of Christ and saved us already. So every statement in the Bible really contains hidden truth. Everything must be searched out. People always fall into big errors, oftentimes, um, well, uh, that, that, you know, they always, oftentimes, <laughs> people often fall into major errors when they think there's a plain literal statement or, or a statement that's not parabolic, no hidden truth. Just a direct statement of scripture and they follow that. They believe that and, and they hold on to that. I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore I'm saved because it says that in Acts chapter 10 and they did not have ears to hear. 
as Jesus said, let he who has ears to hear, hear the deeper spiritual meaning of the word of God. So studying the book of Proverbs should help us to see how God has written the whole Bible. And to begin with, it says in Proverbs 1, verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. So the Proverbs were written by Solomon. God moved Solomon to write this book. And he also moved Solomon to write Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon are the three uh, books of the Bible that we know that Solomon was used by God to write. And Solomon was king, the son of David. He began to reign in 971 B.C. along with David for four years until 967 B.C. And then David died. And in the year David died, the foundation of the temple was laid 480 years after the the uh, coming out of Egypt. And, and in 967 B.C., uh, Solomon laid the foundation and began to build the house of God. So this is the man that God used to to write these things. And it says of Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 4, beginning in verse 29. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men. Then Ethan, the Ezrahite, and Heman, and Chalcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol, and his fame was in all nations round about. And he spake 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. And he spake of trees from the cedar tree that is in Lebanon, even unto the hyssop that springeth out of the wall. He spake also of beasts and of fowl and of creeping things and of fishes. And there came of all people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all kings of the earth, which had heard of his wisdom. So Solomon spoke 3,000 Proverbs. And we can see um, that number is, is significant because it would break down to 3 times 10 times 10 times 10. God's purpose for completeness with the number 10. The, the Proverbs are the Word of God. It's pointing to God's complete purpose for uh, his word that they would be spoken in a parabolic form. It would be Proverbs. And he also wrote songs, a thousand and five. Now, I'm not sure why God gives this number because a thousand and five breaks down to five times three times 67. And the, the number 67 doesn't stand out, or at least we don't uh, have understanding of it. We, we lack knowledge concerning it. So it doesn't seem to break down into any significant number. Same thing. If you put 3000 plus 1005 together, it doesn't break down into any significant number, at least number that we're aware of. 
So it's a little mysterious why God speaks of a thousand and five songs. We can we can see the three thousand pretty clearly, but I'm not sure why God gives that particular number. Well, before we we get into studying Proverbs, since it is written by Solomon, let's ask the question, was Solomon saved? Was Solomon a child of God? Was he a true believer? Well, we just read some pretty good things about him in First Kings. Largeness of heart, and he had great wisdom, and all people from all lands were coming to, to see him. Let's read some of the positives about Solomon. Let's go to Second Samuel chapter 12. Second Samuel 12 and verse 24. And David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went in unto her and lay with her, and she bare a son, and he called his name Solomon. And Solomon means peace. So he he's often used as a type of Christ. We know that definitely. He's often used as a picture of the Lord Jesus. Called his name Solomon, and Jehovah loved him. See that statement there? Jehovah loved him, and he sent by the hand of Nathan the prophet and called his name Jedidiah because of Jehovah. And Jedidiah means uh, beloved of Yah or loved of Yah. So it, Jehovah loved him, called his name Jedidiah, love, beloved of, of Yah. Then in 1 Kings chapter 3, it says, beginning in verse 3, And Solomon loved Jehovah, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon that altar. In Gibeon, Jehovah appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth, and in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with thee. Thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne, as it is this day. And now, O Jehovah my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, And I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad for who is able to judge this thy so great a people. And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment, behold, I have done according to thy words, lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. So there's a bit more information. He's beloved of Yah. 
He's given a wise and understanding heart. Um, but of course, there was a problem with Solomon. Uh, well, let, let's look at a, another verse in Nehemiah. Nehemiah 13. And this also speaks of God's love towards him. In Nehemiah 13, verse 23. In those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin? By these things, yet among many nations was there no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. So again, Solomon was beloved of his God. Now we can look at that word was in a couple different ways. You, it, because it is referring to a past time. In Nehemiah, is referring to a time a few hundred years earlier, a couple hundred years earlier, several hundred. They, it, he, he would use past tense. Or it could be a reference that God did love him and then stopped loving him. He was loved by his God, but no longer is loved by his God. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 11. And we're going to see in this chapter uh, the problem with Solomon that God lays out. And it's pretty serious. In 1 Kings 11, beginning in verse 1, and I'm going to read through verse 9. But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Idonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which Jehovah said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go in to them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had seven hundred wives, princesses, and three hundred concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with Jehovah his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites, and Solomon did evil in the sight of Jehovah and went not fully after Jehovah as did David his father. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burn incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And Jehovah was angry with Solomon 
because his heart was turned from Jehovah God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice. So we, we can see from this passage, God was very displeased with Solomon. What was Israel or Judah's major problem all throughout their history? High places, idolatry, false gods, and, and Solomon contributed to that in a major way by building these things. I mean, this was their great king. This was a king that was famous all over the earth that was renowned for wisdom. Certainly if Solomon built a house for, um, for Ashtoreth, the goddess, or if he built some other high place, it must have been a good thing. You can see how people would, would reason and argue that way when maybe some true believers would say, oh, we should have nothing to do with this, but it, it became entrenched in the land of Judah, especially these high places were ultimately the downfall for Israel and the downfall for Judah and brought the wrath of God. The reason why he first judged Israel by the Assyrians and then later judged Judah by the Babylonians were because of these type of things. And Solomon was at the forefront. Uh, You know, later... Um, with good King Josiah in Second Kings 23. 2 Kings chapter 23. We, we consider Josiah a good king. Well, you know uh, what he was doing when he was going about all Judah, destroying those high places and idols? He was undoing what Solomon had done. In Second Kings 23, Starting in verse 9, Nevertheless, the priests of the high places came not up to the altar of Jehovah in Jerusalem, but they did eat of the unleavened bread among their brethren. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the children of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or his daughter to pass through the fire to Molech. That's one of the names of the false gods that Solomon built a, a, play, a high place to, and he took away. Uh, but uh, while we're on Molech, notice it says that they might make his son or his daughter pass through the fire to Molech. This isn't just some innocent, um, as though any idol could be, you know, just some statue. People would take their children and burn them in a fire to this false god Molech. If uh, just turn back to Leviticus 18 in verse 21, it says, "And thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire to Molech; neither shalt thou profane the name of thy god. I am Jehovah." And also in Leviticus 20, God goes into detail, beginning. In verse 1, And Jehovah spake unto Moses, saying again, Thou shalt say to the children of Israel, Whosoever he be of the children of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn in Israel, that giveth any of his seed unto Molech, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones, and I will set my face against that man, and will cut him off from among his people, because he has given of his seed unto Molech. 
to defile my sanctuary, to profane my holy name. If the people of the land do anyways hide their eyes from the man, when he giveth of his seed unto Molech, and kill him not, then I will set my face against that man and against his family, and will cut him off, and all that go a-whoring after him to commit whoredom with Molech from among their people. That's a very um, prominent position where God is making this statement in the law of Moses that the Israelites would have been aware of. Certainly King Solomon would have been aware of these commandments of God against this particular idol of Molech, and yet he still built a place for Molech, a place where people were killing their own children by offering them up as a sacrifice. Well, it says in verse 11 of 2 Kings 23, And he took away the horses that the kings of Judah had given to the sun at the entering in of the house of Jehovah by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the chamberlain, which was in the suburbs, and burned the chariots of the sun with fire, and the altars that were on the top of the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh, had made in the two courts of the house of Jehovah, did the king beat down and break them down from thence and cast the dust of them into the brook Kidron. And the high places that were before Jerusalem, which were in the right hand of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had builded for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Zidonians, and for Chemosh, the abomination of the Moabites, And for Milcom, the abomination of the children of Ammon, did the king defile, and he break in pieces the images, and cut down the groves, and filled their places with the bones of men. So Josiah was a faithful and a good king, and one of the reasons he was, was he dared, he dared to go about all Judah, to these high places, these would have been venerated. You know how people are. You know how, especially something that's been there a while. Like sometimes you hear over in Iraq or where where they're having the problem with the terrorists that they're destroying these old religious sites from hundreds of. Well, they're they're idolatrous. I'm not shedding a tear that they're being destroyed. But people are very upset because they have a historical significance and they just don't like it when something old or ancient is being destroyed. Put on top of that, that this was the greatest king in the eyes of many that Israel ever had who built these places. And you can see the courage and and the faithfulness of Josiah that he was going about. He didn't care who made it. And it, truthfully, it doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter if a reformer of old to, you know, translate it into spiritual things, because today we don't have these actual sites uh, too much that are our high places. Our high places are written with pen and ink long ago, hundreds of years ago, into confessions and creeds. And they're the bedrock of churches. They, they won't alter them anyway at all because, well, Calvin said it or Luther said it 
or Swingley or Knox or some other reformer made this statement and they were faithful men and, and they were wise men. And so how can we, we say that this statement in the confession or creed, um, that undergirds the church is an error? Well, God's people who Josiah, of course, is a picture of Christ, but also God's people have the mind and the heart of Christ do not care. We don't concern ourselves with who built the high place, uh, who um, is responsible for it. But all we know is this is what the Bible says. And the Bible says that there is one God and and his word is truth. And, and so if these doctrines do not align with the teaching of the word of God, then your confession or creed should be corrected. And if not, well, we're not going to listen to it in any way um, because it's just a high place. Well, the if, if we look at First Kings 11, we see God, uh, it's like he's driving a hammer blow again and again and again, condemning Solomon. He, he speaks of his heart being turned away, of setting up the idol, um, Molech, of setting up other false gods. Um, for instance, uh, Milcom or Malcolm is also mentioned in Zephaniah, in Zephaniah chapter 1, where God is describing the day of his wrath. And he says in Zephaniah 1, Verses four and five, I will also stretch out mine hand upon Judah and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place and the name of the Camerums with the priests and them that worship the host of heaven upon the housetops and them that worship and swear by Jehovah and that swear by Malcolm. And that's Milcom, same word. It's that false God. Some people swear by Jehovah and by Malcolm. That is, they mix the two. It, 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 it's done all the time today. People swear by the Lord. I'm a Christian. I'm a true believer. And then they'll hold on to high places and idols. So, and, and they're uh, assured these other things are true. So they're, they're swearing by two gods and yet God won't have it. God won't allow it. And that's the reason why he ended the church age. It's why he removed his spirit from the midst of the congregations and abandoned them because he came to see if they had repented of their unfaithfulness that they had been involved in down through the centuries. And when he came, he found devotion to Molechs and to Malcolms and to Chemosh and to other idols spiritually. And, and so God brought the day of wrath. He began his judgment on the churches and congregations and, and ended the church age at that time. Oh, there, there is a question, you know, we, we need to wonder about. I, I I had, I don't know if we're going to have time for this. I, I made notes of certain words that God said to Solomon, like turned away. 
maybe we can do a couple of them. Like some of the words that are found in 1 Kings 11, um, turned away is found three times. 1 Kings 11 verse 3, uh, in, at the end of the verse, and his wife turned away his heart. And this same Hebrew word, which is Strong's number 5186, is also found in Isaiah 44 and in 18 through 20. Isaiah 44 verse 18, they have not known nor understood, for he has shut their eyes that they cannot see, and their hearts that they cannot understand, and none considereth in his heart, neither is their knowledge nor understanding to say, I have burned part of it in the fire, yea, also I have baked bread upon the coals thereof, I have roasted flesh and eaten it, and shall I make the residue thereof an abomination, shall I fall down to the stock of a tree? He feedeth on ashes, a deceived heart hath turned him aside, that's the same word, that he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? And that's in the context of idolatry, where they're forming the idol. And and that was Solomon's sin, was the formation of idols. He was building idols. And his wives turned away his heart. Also, God says that his heart is not perfect in verse 4. For it came to pass when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with Jehovah his God, as was the heart of David his father. So David's heart was perfect. Solomon's heart was not perfect. That That's important. Um, look at, we'll, we'll look at a few verses, beginning in 1 Kings 15 and verse 3. Speaking of another king, and he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him, and his heart was not perfect with Jehovah his God as the heart of David his father. This was, um, this was Abijam. His heart was not perfect. But then further down in verse 14, we read of another king. This is Asa. But the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was perfect with Jehovah all his days. So again, one king has a perfect heart like David. Another king's heart is not perfect. And if you read about that king, you'll see he was an evil king. So so there God is indicating by that statement, Solomon's heart was not perfect. It, it's also said of Hezekiah that his heart was perfect in 2 Kings 20. Verse 3, I beseech thee, O Jehovah, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. Of course, Hezekiah was a very good and faithful king and a child of God. And when God says someone's heart is perfect, what does he mean? He just means he saved that person and forgiven all sin. And, and and therefore, you can be considered perfect in God's sight, not because we're without sin, we still have sin in the body, but the new heart and new spirit God has placed within is completely without sin. That's why uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth 
Uh, well, definitely Zacharias was said to be perfect in Luke chapter 1. It's why it says in Job that he was a perfect man and upright because he's a true child of God whose sins were forgiven. But if you do not have a perfect heart, you can do some right things. You can do some correct things for a while, but ultimately you're still in your sin. Now there's another king who did that which was right, it says, but he did not have a perfect heart. In Second Chronicles 25, in verse 2, this is Amaziah, and it says of him, and he did that which was right in the sight of Jehovah, but not with a perfect heart. And that, that would also apply to Solomon for a time. He did that which was right when he was younger, but then when he got older, he didn't endure to the end. When he got older, the true condition, his true nature surfaced, and he involved himself in these idolatrous things, and it really revealed the condition of his heart. He, he was not truly a saved individual. Now also here in Second Chronicles 25, just to, to tell us more about Amaziah, since he did that which was right, but not with a perfect heart, look at verse 14 in, in Second Chronicles 25. Now it came to pass, after that Amaziah was come from the slaughter of the Edomites, that he brought the gods of the children of Seir and set them up to be his gods and bowed down himself before them and burned incense unto them. Wherefore, the anger of Jehovah was kindled against Amaziah and he sent unto him a prophet, which said unto him, why hast thou sought after the gods of the people, which could not deliver their own people out of thine hand? And it came to pass as he talked with him that the king said unto him, Art thou made of the king's counsel? Forbear, why shouldest thou be smitten? And the prophet forbear and said, I know that God hath determined to destroy thee, because thou hast done this and hast not hearkened unto my counsel. So that reveals much about King Amaziah. He conquered um, uh, Edom. He conquered Edom and he took their gods and then he set them up and began to worship them. And the prophet is coming to him and saying, look, those gods couldn't even protect the people you just conquered. It's pretty stupid to take gods of a fallen, conquered people and start bowing down to them as though they were something. They didn't do anything for the Edomites. And, and, and that's what the prophet is saying. And then Amaziah said to the prophet, you better shut up. I'm going to kill you. Or, well, I don't know if he, he threatened that. Um, yes, he said, why shouldest thou be smitten? And to smite often means to kill. Why should, and then the prophet forbear. All right, let him go his way. But it, it indicates when someone does not have a perfect heart that there's a problem. Sin is within. Sin still in the heart. You know, that's why sometimes when you hear some people's, they're, they're just trying to, I think, um, when when someone's in a sin and they're trying to comfort them and they're saying, hey, we all have sinful hearts. They're definitely not speaking for the true believer. Not any longer, not after God saves because it's without sin. It's a perfect heart. And if someone still has sin in their heart, well, uh, that means you're not saved. 
Now, the, the word perfect is also translated this way in Proverbs 11 and verse 1. A false balance is abomination to Jehovah, but a just weight is his delight. The word just. He has a just heart. It's it's a a full heart, a, a whole heart, a perfect heart, that which is without sin. Well, we could like had other words mentioned um, that I noted. The word fully that Solomon went not fully after Jehovah. Of course, God warns against that about being double-minded. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And, and also Ananias in the book of Acts, he kept back part of the price. He, you know, he said he sold the land for so much, but he kept back part of that price and then he dropped down dead, indicating he was not a true believer because he was holding back a portion of himself from God. And God requires and demands everything. And, and so, you know, Solomon did not fully go after Jehovah. And then Jehovah was angry with him. All right, let's go back to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs 1. Now, the question is, since these are the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, the question is, can God use an unsaved man to record his word, to give his word? And uh, we we would say as we look at the Bible, yes, yes. Who is a good example of someone who is unsaved, yet God used to bring revelation or moved him to speak words that, that were inspired? Cyrus, Balaam is the one I was thinking of. Cyrus was a king God uses to typify Christ. And, and God used him to, uh, to build the city Jerusalem, to command it be built. But Balaam was someone that was himself a false prophet. He, he's called a false prophet in, um, is it Jude? Verse 11, woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. Well, it doesn't say that there. Maybe it's 2 Peter 2. In 2 Peter 2, it says in verse 15, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozer, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. So he had gone astray, had gone the wrong way, and yet God um, when Balaam came to seek a word to curse Israel, God gave him a word and caused him to pronounce blessings upon Israel. And we find that account in the book of Numbers. Of, we, we don't really have to turn there. In Numbers, you'll find that Balaam went to God a few times and and God put words in his mouth there were blessings towards the people of Israel as Balak, the king of Moab, had hired him to curse them and instead he blessed them. So, yes, there, there's probably other information too. Um, all we understand is that 
God is the author of the Bible. And he can use the donkey, if he wants, Balaam's donkey, to communicate his divine revelation. Or he can use an evil man like Balaam himself. Or he can use a man like Solomon that would have known much, was given much understanding, much wisdom, was in a, a good family, had a good father, David, and, and and so God did grant Solomon uh, wisdom in many matters, and also God moved Solomon to write these Proverbs, but it's not Solomon's wisdom that we're reading in the book of Proverbs, it's God's wisdom. And, and so we should keep that in mind, even though it says the Proverbs of Solomon, it would really be Solomon as a type of Christ, the, the Proverbs of peace, the Proverbs of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ speaking in parables, in other words, just as he did in the gospel accounts. And the, the word Proverbs, the word Proverbs, why don't we spend some time looking at that uh, before we close today? Proverbs is Strong's number 49.12. The word here in Proverbs 1 verse 1, where it says the Proverbs of Solomon, and it's translated as byword, like, and parable. So it could read the parable of Solomon. It's the same idea as a parable, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, or hidden truth. It is really what a parable boils down to. It's God has hidden some truth. Now, this word um, 49.12 is found in 1 Kings chapter 9 and verses 6 through 8. But if ye shall at all turn from following me, ye or your children will not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. And then will I cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them, and this house which I have hallowed for my name, will I cast out of my sight. And Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all people. And at this house, which is high, everyone that passeth by it shall be astonished, and shall hiss, and they shall say, Why hath Jehovah done thus unto this land and to this house? So did, did you see what God said there? He's talking to Israel, and he says if they do not follow him or keep his commandments, then he'll cut them off, and they will be or become a proverb. Israel will be a proverb or a parable. If they're unfaithful and God cuts them off. And what do we say all the time as we're reading Jeremiah, we're reading Ezekiel. Well, God's judgment on Judah here or God's judgment on Israel is a type and a figure, a proverb of the church. It's a it's a parable pointing to the New Testament church and here God gives justification for that. Uh, he, he says it again in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. In 2 Chronicles 7 and verses 20 and 21. Uh, and again, well, verse 19, again, God warns about turning from his statutes. 
Then verse 20, then will I pluck them up by the roots out of the land which I have given them. And this house, which I have sanctified for my name, will I cast out of my sight and will make it. Now it's specifically the house, the house of God will make it to be a proverb and a byword among all nations. Judgment begins at the house of God, a proverb. Now, some people, they they want to say, well, that doesn't have anything to do with the church. Well, God just said when he cuts off Israel for their unfaithfulness, he makes them a proverb and a byword, a type and a figure. And what would that type and figure point to? What would the proverb of a cut-off house or a cut-off nation of Israel point to? Well, look at Acts chapter 7. Acts 7 in um, verse 38, where, where God in verse 36 is speaking of um, uh, Israelites coming out of Egypt and the wilderness sojourn. Then in verse 38, this is he that was in the church in the wilderness, which the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. But it's referring to Israel. Israel in the wilderness, and God says is the church in the wilderness because they are a proverb. They are a type and a figure. It's the same as in Psalm 78. In Psalm 78, beginning in verse 1, Give ear, O my people, to my law. That is, let him who has ears to hear, hear. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. And then we read um, a bunch of Proverbs or or we read uh, things like found in the book of Proverbs. What If we go on to read Psalm 78, we read of the history of Israel coming out of Egypt, wandering in the wilderness, the opening of the Red Sea, various, the water out of the rock, various things like that. And yet God begins it by saying, now, you better incline your ear. You better have ears to hear. And he's going to open his mouth in a proverb or a parable. It's the same word as in Proverbs uh, 1 verse 1 and utter dark sayings of old. And so we, we can see when God says that Israel is a proverb. It's a proverb. It explains why in Matthew 24, let those which be in Judea, and God's talking about the end of the world when he's long since for almost 2,000 years, cut them off. They're no longer his people. Hey, Israel is not in view in any way as uh, the nation, but let those which be in Judea flee to the mountains because they're made a proverb and the application is to the church in the wilderness, the churches and congregations. Well, I, I think we'll stop here, but this, this word is a very interesting word to check out. The word proverbs really sets 
the tone of what God is going to be speaking of and describing throughout the book. And again, the book of Proverbs uh, is a good way for us to learn about the whole Bible, to see how God has written all scripture, all, all the word of God. Okay, let's stop here and we'll close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your blessings to us and we thank you for your word that um, is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And we thank you that it is a word that brings comfort, that brings uh, strength, that that brings wisdom and understanding and knowledge and reveals so much. Just in one verse, we, we know that you are the creator. The world has been created. We are creatures. Uh, and uh, we, we know um, so much um, information because you have revealed it to us and others you have not revealed it to. Uh, you have limited many to the physical realm, to the physical world. And for a time, it seems to put them at ease. They're only concerned with physical things and physical, and therefore they enjoy physical things and get caught up in them, excited about them, and their whole lives uh, revolve around them. But And the true believer has been granted more understanding of not only physical things, but spiritual things, a whole realm of existence where you dwell, your kingdom is, and and Father, we we thank you for this. We we thank you for all this information. But of course, it does uh, also bring uh, added affliction and added difficulties while we live in this world for this short period of time. And so we pray, Lord, that we would not bear these burdens or these things alone. But we ask for your help and that you would help us to live day by day. We we don't have to think at this point, since we don't know exactly when the world will end. All we know is sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof, one day at a time. It's the only day we we have, as Robert pointed out, and it's the only day we're responsible for. We don't have to think of days to come or time to come and, and pile it up. Just one day on uh, each day. And Father, we, we ask for your help and for your blessing and we pray for wisdom. Lord, we admit we don't know anything. We've never known anything. We admit that we, uh, that, that you are far above us and beyond us and your word is way beyond our ability to understand and we'll never understand. We'll never be able to figure things out and to lay them out. But we know that you are the great teacher and you are the one who who does know the end from the beginning. So we, we do ask you for insight and understanding of the time we're living in, of the situation we find ourselves, and we wait uh, upon you as we continue to study and continue to make requests to you for wisdom. And Father, we do ask for wisdom that must come down from above. And we we pray that you would give uh, your people wisdom and 
and help us also to uh, be strengthened in waiting upon you. Father, we pray for everyone here. We ask that you would bless each one or those listening. And uh, again, thank you for all your blessings to us in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.